Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, the one in whom we hide ourselves, for in Christ we are found. Amen. Have you seen that program on the BBC titled, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, I'm not sure it's still running, but you can get some catch-up episodes on BBC iPlayer or sometimes see it on replays. The basic premise of the show is that various celebrities uh, are helped to explore their ancestry, often discovering secrets and surprises uh, that they never knew about their family tree. One of the episodes that I watched uh, included the comedian Billy Connolly. And and he found out that his great-grandmother was baptized in India, even though he thought their background was of Irish immigrants who came to Glasgow for work. Bit of a surprise. And it certainly surprised him to find this out about his family. Knowing the truth about his background reshaped some of his story. And it reshaped some of his self-understanding, his identity. The question of who do you think you are is a crucial one for, for any of us to engage with and understand. Because our identity has an impact upon us, often in ways we're unaware of. And to have a poor understanding of ourselves can be deeply detrimental to our choices, our aspirations, even our health, and to our joy and peace. This coming Wednesday is the final week of our Alpha course here at Brighton's, and it's been a fantastic course. We've had more people attending than previous years. Everyone who's come has gained something of benefit towards their faith, whether they be longtime church members or someone new and simply exploring what it means for them. Everyone has said how they have benefited by attending. And if you have not done Alpha yet, then I encourage you to think about doing it next year when it comes around again. One of the most powerful aspects of the Alpha course is that it is packed full of stories of how the Christian faith in knowing Jesus has impacted people's lives, often bringing great healing for them. And I'd like to play one of those videos for you just now. Here is an educated, articulate, professional young woman, and she was so very broken. She is typical of us all, really, whether inside or outside the church, because we all have brokenness within us. And often that brokenness is tied to our identity, often a misplaced, unhealthy, even negative identity. And that identity can feel like a prison a prison we so desperately want to be free of. So how would you define yourself? What is the voice that goes around in your head describing your identity? I've thrown up just a couple of words here. Failure, ugly, unimportant, untrustworthy. You could have never good enough. The list is literally endless. But to be aware of that inner voice and to bring it into God's light is so crucial for us individually and for us 
corporately. The question of who do you think you are was also relevant in Haggai's time, both for the people and for their leader Zerubbabel. In previous weeks, we've covered God's summons to the people to rebuild the temple and to show fidelity to his commands. Throughout, there has been this question underneath. Who do you think you are? How do you define yourself, O Israel? We have followed some of their journey, some of their rediscovery, reawakening of their identity as the people of God. And as such, the need to give of themselves to his purposes and his commands. And as the people have allowed their identity to be shaped by God's word through the prophet Haggai, they have come into a new season as the people of God. And now they are on the brink of knowing God's blessing like they have never known it before. God has been asking them, are you really my people? Are you willing to show that in how you live and in what you give yourselves to? Will you remain focused on your lives or will you adopt an identity focused upon my kingdom? In today's reading, we see that Haggai is sent with a second message on the very same day that he gave that previous word of encouragement. This time, however, the message is to their political leader, Zerubbabel, described in verse 21 there as the governor of Judah. Again, the message here is forward-looking, looking ahead to what God is going to do amongst the nations and for the people. So God's promise of blessing that we saw last time in Haggai 2.19 is also connected to this portion. For the previous promise of blessing upon the harvest and of resources for the temple, that was a kind of first fruits by God. And now God is saying that a far greater blessing is to come. At the heart of what God says here to Zerubbabel is a question of identity for him and through him to the wider people. Who are you, Zerubbabel? Are you simply the governor of Judah? Or is there something else to you? What is it that defines you? Because in verse 23, the Lord packs in five key phrases which begin a monumental change for Zerubbabel and for the people. It might not seem that way, but let me walk you through the verse. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty. On that day is prophetic language used by all the prophets to point beyond the immediate time to a future time when God will do something significant, when his kingdom will break into our world in an even greater way. So what we read in verses 21 and 22 should be seen in that context. The shaking of the universe, the overthrowing of human power, this is not going to come now but it is a part of God's larger purposes which begin now. For we read in verse 23 this as well. I will take you, my servant, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Here are four key phrases, as I've highlighted, which all point towards Zerubbabel playing a part in God's larger plans and purposes. The language used here is all messianic language, speaking of the Messiah. 
and it echoes many words and phrases used in the Old Testament. For example, I will take you echoes what God said to David. Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. These words were used by God to remind David of the journey that had been taken, and they lie within 2 Samuel, where God promises to David an eternal throne and someone to sit upon that throne, someone who will be a son of God. And that promised king would become known as the Messiah. Similarly, my servant echoes, it became a well-known title for the Messiah, and it echoes what is said here in Ezekiel. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, he will tend them and be their shepherd. What's interesting here is that Ezekiel is speaking hundreds of years after the death of David. So it's clearly not the original David being referred to, but again that promise to have someone sit on David's throne, a king, and he will be the servant of God. Then at the end of Haggai 2.23, we have these words, I have chosen you. And again, this echoes what God said of his servant, the promised Messiah, the words picked here from Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Again, messianic overtones. But in the middle of what God said through Haggai are these words. My servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, I will make you like my signet ring. We need to begin with unpacking that signet ring reference. As many of us will know, a signet ring was a, a sign of authority. It would be worn by the king, engraved with the king's seal, and was used to endorse all official documents. It was so precious that the king would keep it upon his person at all times, guarding it. Now, by referencing the signet ring, the Lord through Haggai is alluding to an earlier prophetic message given uh, to the line of David in Jeremiah, which we read here. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. In this prophecy, given 80 years before the coming of Zerubbabel, God is saying that he is rejecting King Jehoiakim Jehoiakim because of his idolatry, that the signet ring, the seal of the office of the Davidic king is being stripped from him, and furthermore, in naming him childless, this means that no son of his will sit on the throne. And this came true. If you were to dig into the the other portions of the Old Testament, you'd see that it came true. And as a result, the the line of David through Solomon that comes down eventually to Jehoiakim ends here. And indeed, many would have thought that the Davidic line was null and void altogether. Until God says to Zerubbabel, my servant Zerubbabel, 
I will make you like my signet ring. So God is taking Zerubbabel and from him the line of David, the line of the Messiah will continue. For if you were to trace Zerubbabel's ancestry, you'd see that he is within the Davidic line, the family tree of David, though he's not an obvious branch. But nevertheless, God is addressing the Davidic line through Zerubbabel and reinstating that line as the signet ring of the Lord, from whom the Messiah will come. And if you were to jump into Matthew and Luke, you would see how it eventually traces its way down to Jesus, the Messiah. It's a remarkable turnaround for this family. A family that was once rejected because of its disobedience, now forgiven and restored, given a royal identity once more. With these words, we can hear the Lord saying, Who do you think you are, Zerubbabel? Are you simply a governor or are you something more? And in declaring this over Zerubbabel, the Lord is not only changing the identity of this one man, he is once again summoning all Israel to a royal identity, to see themselves as the people of God contributing to the purposes of God. They are meant to see that rebuilding the temple is the first step in God's plan to bring his rule upon the, the earth. The people here are also being called to have a kingdom of God vision, a kingdom of God identity. This is not just about Zerubbabel. So it's all about identity. Who do you think you are? What defines you, Israel and Zerubbabel? Is it your past? Are you defined by the decline and failing of previous generations or by what the Lord says in this time? Will you heed his word now and embrace an identity within the kingdom of God? And these are questions God asks all of us, maybe especially in our time. We, like God's people of old, need, need to adopt a kingdom identity. And the question is, will we? Just like in Haggai's time, we don't know when or how God will fulfill his promise and our prayers for his kingdom to come. But our job, our summons, is to adopt a kingdom identity and vision. And as always, we have a choice to make. Will we or won't we? So what's it going to be, brothers and sisters? What is going to define us? And at an individual level, adopting a kingdom identity is, is life-giving. It is faith-increasing. It is adventure-making. One way that I've experienced this is the development of my willingness to pray for and with other people. I began praying with people out loud two months after becoming a Christian. It was just the context I fell into. So I got used to it pretty quickly and I grew to love it. But as doors opened to new areas of responsibility and ministry, I soon found myself in situations where I needed to pray with people for stuff that was really outside of my comfort zone. It was daunting. I would think to myself, can I pray this? Should I pray this? Who am I to pray this? All the usual questions. 
But then I received some really excellent teaching on prayer ministry. And with that came the realization that by being a Christian, and it's true for any who is a Christian, by being a Christian, you are in Christ, as the Bible says. This is not just mental assent to some religious ideas. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you're an heir and a co-heir of the kingdom of God. I am a son of God. I am a prince of the kingdom with authority as an ambassador of the kingdom, with direct access to the throne of God, seated at the right hand of God in heaven, even though my feet walk upon the earth. That is my identity. And if it's true, which it is, if all that was true at the time, then the question comes to mind, I better adopt this. It's time to really adopt a kingdom identity and vision, a kingdom confidence and passion. Now, there are times when I feel like this, and I have a bit of a wobble when someone requests prayer for a particular issue. But then I need to remember it's not so much about the words, but that I am in Christ. Because our words are not magic. There are no magic words for prayer. Ultimately, it's being found in Jesus, which makes all the difference. And I tell you, praying with people, being allowed to pray out loud for them, lay a hand upon their shoulder, is gold dust. It is a joy. I love it. I love an evening service where I stand in one of the corners and I invite people, if you want to come for prayer, I'm over here and I'll pray with you. And I love that moment. I love it. It is one of the delights of the Christian life to pray with people, to stand alongside them in their struggles. But it shouldn't just be for the minister or the mature few who experience this. This should be, should be prevalent amongst us as church family. For if we are in Christ, then we are all sons and daughters of God. Indeed, it's cheesy to say it, but we are all princes and princesses of the kingdom, which will thrill my daughter. But how seldom do we live in that reality? We're often scared of so much. We're scared to pray. And we hesitate to step out in faith, not only in prayer, but in a variety of ways. Because we're held back by fear. And probably that's because we lack a sufficiently mature kingdom identity. And just like that woman from the Alpha video, I think God wants to set us free. To heal some of our brokenness. And part of that on an individual level is to grow in our identity. To know deep down who we are in Christ ambassadors of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the living God, such that it changes our lives and the lives of the people we encounter. So who do you think you are? But let's take it up a notch. Let's take this up to the corporate level, to us as a church family, because we're going into challenging times as a congregation, as a presbytery, as a denomination, and in challenging times, there are those tensions, those questions, and they include tensions and questions over identity. 
Who do we think we are? Who are we? This afternoon, straight after the service, uh, I go into a meeting with the representatives and ministers of all the other congregations from the Braes area. Brighton's is represented there too. And along the way in these conversations, we have to answer the question, or ask the question, who are we? What is our principal identity? Is it Brighton's Parish Church, Slamanon Church, Pullman Old Church? Or is it sons and daughters of God, ambassadors of the kingdom? Because how we answer that, how we see ourselves, is going to shape the conversation and the future direction for our area. Are we simple governors or are we in Christ, his signet ring and dear to the Father? Are we intimidated by the changes that we face, the forces around us, just like the Israelites were? Or do we see ourselves as being in Christ, the Messiah, the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? We might once again say, are we paupers? Or are we living as princes and princesses? To see ourselves rightly is so important that even Jesus prayed about it and probably still prays about it. We read today, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is at the heart of what Jesus yearns for his church, even today, that we display unity. Now this is not about uniformity or conformity, for as Jesus says, our unity is rooted in the Father and the Son. May they also be in us. Our unity is not institutional or organizational. It is rather living, organic. It is a unity of being not only of function or purpose or action. And it can't be powered by human effort. It has to be powered by our union with Jesus. That we are in him, he is in us. We are sons and daughters of God, branches of the vine, ambassadors of the kingdom, heirs of Christ. And if we are going to, to find that identity... It's not going to be through discussion and diplomacy. It is going to come about through, through worship and prayer. Because deep down, you know, when, when we pray for someone, even if it's internally and quietly, if we pray for someone, then we start seeing them as someone who's a person. We start caring for them. We start loving them because we wrestle over the things they wrestle with. And we yearn and ache with the burdens that they feel. And the Christians I am closest to are the Christians I have prayed with and for and who have done the same for me. And it's like that in all of life. I'm sure you all love the children who come on a Sunday morning. But we really learn to love them when we get to know them and their families, when we get to know their personalities and their quirks and their foibles. And it's the same with church. 
as we worship and pray together, as we are real with one another and open up to one another and stand alongside one another in the good and the bad, then the boundaries and the walls, they, they blur and they crumble. And it's no longer Brighton's church and Slamanan church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And together we are children of God, ambassadors of a kingdom, heirs of Christ. So who do you think you are? Who are we individually? Who are we corporately? As we go into this new season, are we going to bunker down? Are we going to have a, prop, a proper mentality and identity? Or are we going to adopt a kingdom of God identity? Understanding ourselves to be in Christ. And so conducting ourselves individually and corporately in light of that. In our day, in our time of change and uncertainty, I pray we also may hear the summons of God to a kingdom identity and vision. May it be so. Amen.